Another BYU TV Deep Blue special is a go from Studio B in Provo, Utah. I'm your host, Spencer Linton. Wherever and however you're connected, always great to have you with us. Over the next 60 minutes, we will take you on a visual and audible carousel featuring some of the most inspirational, thought-provoking, and uplifting stories within BYU athletics. These stories focus on the coaches and athletes with an emphasis on their triumphs, often outside the lines of competition. Let's begin with one of the greatest BYU football running backs in the storied history of the program. And he almost wasn't a running back. Tyler Algier's perseverance paid off in a major way. From walk-on to winner, it's a lasting bond with his late grandpa that drives him to excel. He's not one to ever talk about his hardships and struggles, but you know that, that he's been through quite a bit, and but for a guy to go through all that and to love others and to serve others, he's a perfect fit for what we want here at BYU. I didn't want to have kids. I didn't at that time. I was only 25, <laughs> so I still was like, I wasn't married. Um, I was in a relationship, but I was like, okay, well, I'm not ready yet. So next thing you know, when I found out I was pregnant, so I was actually on birth control. So birth control didn't work. So then I ended up being pregnant. And like I said, it just, it was scary. But then I was like, okay, well, I mean, I'm already five months pregnant. I'm going to go ahead and have the child. His umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. Ended up uh, getting choked out by the umbilical cord. So every time she pushed and all that, it was just like getting tighter and tighter. Next thing you know, after all this experience with what happened with him, I was just like, why is this happening to me? You know, I was like, I just want a healthy baby. You know, I wanted a healthy baby, but... Two doctors and five nurses and ran to in ICU and intubate him, put him in the ventilator and connect to the art line with the umbilical cord to sustain the medication for blood pressure because his blood pressure was dropping down. So and then ended up being in the hospital for like a couple of weeks or whatnot. It was in God's hands at that point and like I said it just it felt so good to have my parents' support. I was monitoring him when he grew up. If I, I see a sign of neurological status changes, but so far so good, knock on wood, God is looking after him. A couple of the hardships I know was um, his father, and unfortunately he wasn't a very big part of his life. The good thing and positive thing about that is he had so much love around him that it didn't bother him. So we only had like four rooms. We had a living room, my grandma's room, grandpa's room, and then all three of us stayed in a room. Had my mom and sister up top, and then I had a pull-out bed at the bottom. We were living there right there, shoot. I couldn't couldn't have asked for more and just grateful for my family just doing the most they can. Grandpa was basically his male um, father figure. With his dad not part of his life, it was just my dad was kind of like his best friend. Yeah, this is my guy right there, so he always looked out for me, always looked out for me, you know, always slimed me, slimed me money on the side, you know. He was like, don't tell your grandma. I still haven't told her from this day, but now freaking she'll know, but. My husband named him T-Bone. Come on, T-Bone. I said, what rums is it? Why do you call me T-Bone? Because it's fit to your personality. <laughs> Being away from home, something foreign, doing the whole walk-on thing it's not easy and I don't think a lot of people know but when he first came in he was working the graveyard shift at Walmart to pay for school and everything 
Yeah, so honestly, it was literally just taking the most out of every opportunity. I think that's kind of what I live on. And so I just literally just worked, worked super hard because I coached Lamb and all of them. They, they are like the best guys will be on the field, you know, that's, that's what I strive to be. And then uh, just literally working my way from special teams, working my way up. He had a great sense of urgency to do anything it took to earn a scholarship. And again, I think that goes back to why he was willing to play defense. He was willing to play anything we needed him to do. He just wanted to prove his worth to earn that scholarship. And of course, he's clearly done that now. He's, in my opinion, he's one of the best running backs in the country. All those long days and nights, you know, working and, and doing whatnot to, to get to where he is. I think it's definitely helped him, just motivate him and push him to another level. The 30, the 25, the 20 comes inside 15. Tyler Algier with a touchdown, and the Cougars score. Tyler Algier runs it left and right into the end zone. Literally, when I left, you know, obviously leaving Gramps was hard enough, especially, but he was always just proud of me, especially just even getting the preferred walk on spot. Just, I'll be the first to graduate from college and all of that. So that's a big, big thing for me, and losing him was for sure a big toll on me. So. I actually had to call Tyler around 1 o'clock in the morning, and I told him, I think it's time. Put him Tyler in the peace, peace time. He was talking to his grandpa. It's okay, Grams, to go. I'm here with you, talking to you. It really hurt him. He wanted to be here to hold his hand. My dad's last breath, Tyler was on the phone with us, and everybody was there in the room, and we basically said our last goodbyes. He was just doing his thing, and the next minute he has cancer. You never expect that on your own, your own family, you know, just going through that. So literally just taking day, everything, literally everything, day by day, and just making the most out of your opportunities that you have. When you go, leave the house, say goodbye and kiss everybody, because you never know what's going to be happening. It breaks my heart, because I'm sure his grandpa would have been thrilled to see him play at the next level because I believe wholeheartedly he has that talent and that caliber. It's been cool to see just the growth in him and understand like who he really is doing this for. So good luck, Tyler. Good luck, Tyler. Love you. Love you. Tyler is pacing to rewrite the BYU record book and when you understand what he's overcome, he's easy to root for. When we come back, one of Tyler's teammates on the opposite side of the ball dealt with his own tragic loss of a family member, all while handling his own significant health scare. Why Optunai Samahe feels like it was all meant to be. Welcome back to our Deep Blue special on BYU TV. BYU defensive lineman Optunai Samahe encountered a serious health issue that sidelined his season, but opened up a priceless opportunity before his father passed away how they turned a tragic scenario into an inspirational and faith-promoting family experience. That was what we, that's what we usually do. It's uh, just pretty much just saying, saying that. Being a healthy 22-year-old and receiving a blood clot, you know, that doesn't happen. That doesn't just happen to every 22-year-old. Uh, but it did happen to me. And essentially, you know, I'm just grateful for it. It's really showed me to be 
even more resilient, be even more hungry, and uh, to be even more faithful. It's really heightened me in all aspects of my life. So, you know, I had blood clot, but I'm grateful. We had nothing. We're a very poor family coming up in a humble home. The only thing that we have is love. And so when Naisa was born into this earth in his special own circumstance and situation, my mom and dad wanted Naisa to have everything. They didn't want him to not miss out on anything any other kid has. So I, I'm originally adopted by my grandparents. So it's my grandparents' daughter who had me, who's my mom. And she originally had me at 19, and my grandparents wanted my mom to sort of, you know, get back on her feet and kind of uh, find her life for herself. So they, they, they decided to take me under their care. You know, it's not easy. That's hard. So I was worried for nine kids. And I say to myself, I sacrificed my life for the rest of my kids and my grandkids. in uh, elementary when he started playing football, we would always go to his games and we would always wonder why when someone's running toward Naisa, he'll just like lightly tap or he wouldn't even like go full on and tackle. And so my dad one day was asking him, son, why on the field? Like, I, I see you hold back. What? Why do you hold back? It's because of my mom. She was very gentle. My dad was a very gentle giant. And I always like looked up to him, followed in his footsteps. So knowing that I have to hit other people, I was just kind of hesitant because I didn't want to hurt anyone. So when my dad and my mom explained to him, you're not going to hurt anybody, you have the gear on. If you're playing to have fun and you learn and you increase your talent, if this is your talent, you're going to have to give it all you can. So that just uh, motivated me to be more competitive. And... Nice, I eventually started tackling, as you can see. <laughs> and down he goes. There is the pressure. Love is sacked for the first time in the ball game. It is Mahe. Essentially, it was just a normal workout day for me um, until I, we started running and I just started from my arm going numb. Just all the news that we ended up getting. I mean, the, he didn't make it through the workout. Then he was in the emergency room. Then it was like, this could possibly happen. This could possibly happen. There's so many things that were scary about, about the moment. I go to, you know, finish up an essay. I'm sitting there trying to type. All I could do is just repeat the same word. I just be writing and, 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 and the, and the. So I felt really lightheaded, started to go upstairs. So I went upstairs and tried to get a drink of water, and that's when my body just kind of sort of shut down. The whole left side of my body went numb. My tongue started to go numb, and I couldn't speak. The only word I could say was uh, hospital, and I... I'm glad I got to say it loud enough for people to hear it downstairs. So that's when my roommate came, took me to the hospital. and It was more like hoping that he was going to be okay and healthy than, than being able to play, you know? Like football was the last thing on our minds and I'm sure the last thing on his mind. As soon as they came out saying that I could potentially have a blood clot in my brain, um, immediately a lot of questions came to my head like, what does this mean? Or like, how did this happen? They are just able to sit me down and tell me like, you know, there might be a... Uh, possibility that you won't be able to play football anymore. But when I find it out, that's all I do, fast and break. And we go into the hospital. And we feel, we feel okay when we look at him and he said, I'm okay. And I said, are you sure? This make me feel good. 
So after being diagnosed with uh, venous thrombosis and figuring out that I wouldn't be able to do anything, play football, lift, or work out, they just told me to go home. I mean, sometimes they say a curse is disguised as a blessing. We didn't know that my dad's health would go down so fast. And just within that time, that NISA was down because of his blood clot, he was actually opened an opportunity to be here and to be front row and center. And he would stay up all night with my dad. And I'm like, Naisa, have you got any rest yet? He's like, yeah, sis, don't worry about me. And he says, you know what? This is actually a good opportunity. I've been talking with dad a lot, you know, getting close, getting his time that because of school, he wasn't able to be here as much. I think that was my dad's happiest moments was being able to be with his son for the last time. Up until the day that he passed, Naisa was right there by his side. When you look on the, the brighter side of things that, I mean, such a young kid, great athlete, and then he gets his blood clot, and um, it, it threatens his life, but also threatens his future. And thing that he loves, football, but for him to look on a brighter side of things to say, well, this allowed me to be home more, be around my family, and to have some moments to remember. That's why he's someone everyone should cheer for. Forest Park is essentially where my dad is. My whole family, we go there often. And it, it, not to take away from it being a cemetery, but we're always there having a good time. All the kids are just running around, you know, sitting around my dad and also just just having fun. Sometimes we play rugby over there. I don't know if we're supposed to, but I'm pretty sure my dad likes that, so. Just a second home for my family. I don't know how to explain the loss I have. But you know what? He wiped my tears. You know, having the father gave me the opportunity to be there with my family, to be there with my dad. But as soon as my dad had passed away, we're going through that process. I was trying to figure out what's going on with my head still. Uh, essentially, like a couple weeks later, they said that it was fully gone. So that really showed me that, you know, it was really meant to be. For me to be home with him and to spend time with him, I feel like it was just part of the plan. Atunaisa played a critical role in BYU's historic 2021 season that featured a program-best six wins against Power 5 competition. After the break, BYU fullback Mason Wake provides his team and fan base with an unforgettable tribute moment in the end zone. More Deep Blue on the way. Our Deep Blue special continues from Studio B in Provo, Utah, with fullback Mason Wake, who's made a habit of leaping over competition, quite literally. But he's also flown over significant adversity in his life. After a divorce in his family and the eventual death of his mother, Mason honored her in a gallant touchdown triumph at Houston last season. Here's the incredible backstory. It has been a very interesting life. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's been a lot of really hard things. Like our parents got divorced, and then my mom got cancer. She had cancer for three years, and then she passed away. I mean, he lost his mom. It's so sad, and I think we really just had to cling to each other, like as a family and as siblings, like just kind of picking each other up when we were having hard days and things like that. 
Having to just grow up from such a young age, like doing my laundry, cooking my food at night, and like trying to get a job just to help on my diet as much as I can. But like that just made me who I am today. And like it just made me grow up as a man at such, such a young age. I know it was hard on him and it still is, you know, to this day. But uh, he loves his mom and would. He would do. really anything just have have another day with her my mom was the best she was so fun and she just loved all of us she wanted to take every moment with us and a lot of that looking back on pictures and memories and stuff was with mason because he was a baby it was a really special relationship sometimes it's hard for me to remember some things but I mean, since I was the baby of the family, like, I remember some things and just, like, me and her were super close, but I feel like even now that we're even closer. I think she's behind every decision that he makes because he he wants to make her proud, and I think he puts everything out there, and not even just football, but everything he does because he wants to be his best self and just really live life, and I'm, I'm sure it's because of her. Right when it happened, like, I just had so many people asking me questions, like, how I am. So I just kind of, like, kept it inside. Like, I just wanted to keep it between me and her. But I still wanted to show that I love her. And high school was kind of subtle with, like, little things. Like, after I scored a touchdown, I just went up to the sky. Well, it could be dangerous. That's Algier in motion into the backfield. Wilson. And he told me, he's like, Coach, I want to do this and, and honor my mom. I said, perfect, go do it. Get in the end zone and, and let's see it when you when you pull that shirt down and you, you honor your mom that way. I think that'd be something really cool. I just wanted to get the word out there and just show how much she means to me and that I love her each and every day and like I try to make her proud. And it was uh, kind of an emotional moment for him and for the Titans in the room because we know how much his mom means to him. To see him on the field, I feel super proud because I know he's worked so hard. That first time that I saw him run out on the field at the Tennessee game, I, I, I literally lost it. I started, you know, start crying, and I was just so proud of him. Sometimes, like, when I do things, like, he's even, like, more proud. Like, he's more excited. I'm like, how are you more excited than me? Like, I just scored my first touchdown, and he's, like, crying and, like, calling me after the games. Like, I knew this was this would happen. From, like, those little peewee days, like, when he's just teeny tiny and it, you can't even believe that they can carry the pads themselves because he's so small. And then now he's playing for BYU, which is just a dream come true for him, just to play at the college level. And it's it's really cool, and it makes me feel really proud and really emotional that he's come so far because he's worked really, really hard for it. My dad just challenged me to run hills every day, to lift every single day, like to put lifting over hanging out with friends or doing other things. Growing up, we didn't have a lot of money and I just felt like I had to do it. I took that seriously and that's why I felt like I did all I could and I still wasn't on scholarship, but I took it to heart. I need this for me. I need to be on scholarship just to like help out with my family. That was just my driving force to earn that scholarship. When a scholarship opened up, it was easy to see that he's a guy that deserved it. One day, I just remember him saying that I'm on scholarship, and like I just like went and sat in my car, and I just felt like this weight lifted off my shoulders to not have to worry about all the other stuff. He earned a he earned a scholarship by what he did um, on the field, so I'm pretty sure she's she's proud of what he's doing. 
it's just the beginning, you know. I mean, you're living out your dream, you're living out my dream, and it's been fun to share it with you. Mason has no intention of stopping his leaps over the competition or over tough times in life, for that matter. He's got a handful of teammates that have taken on that same mindset, including Chaz Ayu, who stared suicidal thoughts in the face and discovered a new power to prevail and live on. Let's go deep blue with Chaz Ayu. I'm here to dominate. You know, I don't like to leave any room for, for doubt. And so when I'm on the field, it's just a very intense, aggressive, in-your-face type of guy. He's there to win. And he always has been that way since he started football. We always need some leaders like that that just will push right to the very edge of almost being disrespectful. But um, I think it comes from a place of if we as a group of men know what another guy's goals are and aspirations, then it's appropriate to push. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but you don't become a good football team without some discomfort. And then as soon as I'm off the field leaving the game, I'm right back into my show, just quiet. Let's go right to my family and go home. So. Chaz, by nature, is a nurturer. He loves people. He loves that he's a champion for the underdog. Uh, always been like that. So we were both adopted, both me and my sister. People, they'll look at us, and I'm just like, hey, our family's about family. We accept any and all. I grew up in a, a dominant white community. But as he grew older, he started to realize, you know what, I'm, I'm adopted. And I have another side where his biological father was black and his biological mother was, was Caucasian and trying to fit in into who he is. I wasn't really accepted by a certain group. You know, I was friends with them, but none of them would say, oh, yeah, he's this or that, you know. So was, to me, it was kind of just I could call myself a football player and they could say, oh, yeah, that's my teammate. I play football with him. May 2020 for Mother's Day. I had felt it for a little while. It was a couple weeks. I just felt this intense spirit to needing to connect him with his birth mom and with his birth family so that he can figure out who he is and he can be comfortable with who he is. And she says, you know what? I really feel inspired that we need to give your biological mothers, both your mothers, a, uh, a Mother's Day gift. And I think that started opening up the way for him to be okay with who he is. And really, no matter where he comes from or who he comes from, he's loved. I think now, for me, what I found is I can say with confidence that I, you know, I'm a half-black, half-white man that was raised by Polynesians. And I claim the Polynesian side as well, the Samoan and Hawaiian. It seems pretty simple to put it like that, but for so long, it didn't, never made any sense to me. And so with that discovery, you know, it came, brought a whole new confidence to who I am and something that I can back up and really claim myself. And I think that was the biggest thing, was just being able to claim myself for who I was instead of reaching out to find other areas that I could fit in. Struggling with his identity, trying to figure out who he is, and then mental health challenges with depression, anxiety, and ADHD. And then we have surgery, shoulder surgery. We have coming home from the mission. We have being falsely arrested. February 2020 was a life-changing event in his life. He got pulled over coming on the way home from church. Got arrested for DUI. It was public news. It hit all over ESPN, every station. It was on the paper. Everyone knew about it, heard about it, found out about it. That that one really hurt because of you know being in my hometown community, playing for a religious school, and then you throw DUI on top of that, and it's like, nah, that's not a hometown hero. That's not a that's not someone that we want to represent us. You know, I think for me the biggest part of that was just being able to accept 
whether the reality was fair or not, what my reality was at the time. And having to sit behind it, can't say anything, can't expose nothing. You know, I just have to sit there and take it. Let people believe um, what was being spread on social media. And that really took a big hit on me mentally. District attorney ended up throwing out everything. And there's zero evidence, no evidence at all. It's too late. His name was already out there. He got judged one way or the other. You know, you automatically assume. It was a heavy burden. I remember him struggling one day. And he called me. He's like, Mom, I'm really struggling. I'm at work. I go into the bathroom and I say a prayer. Holy Father, you know this kid better than I do. He's your son. You've got to help me. You've got to help me help him. I'll listen. You just got to tell me. And so the words that came to my mind were musubi and medicine. He hadn't been eating well. He was in this depression and this sadness and just all the burden that was placed on him. And, and I think that was one of the starts to getting the help that he needed and him being okay. Something clicked with him like, I'm not okay. I need help. Um, yeah, that arrest coupled with his surgeries and not being able to practice and managing his, his, his mental health um, with academics really put him in a dark space that really, with, with all the social injustice that just continually to show up was a trigger for him. Watching him cry, and I could tell there was so much anguish and suffering in him. I had no idea how dark and of a hole he was in. You know, um, to a point where thoughts of suicide crossed his mind. You know, we'd have a different conversation right now if that were to take place. I don't know where I'd be if I lose my son or my daughter or anybody of that nature. I think a lot of people didn't know that he was in that the dark place. I think that's where a lot of people started to realize that maybe if we think outwardly a little bit more and try to not just assume that people are doing well because of football or because of school or whatever it is, that, that people will still struggle even though things look on the surface like they're doing they're doing well. Like, you know, those last six months of 2020, I was just in the worst place I've been ever in my life. And, you know, thank God that I have a family and the support that they were able to give me. And looking back at it, I'm beyond grateful for what I've gone through in this last year and a half as it's built my character. It's, it's built everything in me. I feel resilient to anything now, anything that's placed in front of me. I love you, son. I just think the world of you. I'm very honored to be your father, son. You keep going, you keep trying, you keep persevering, you keep loving and being kind to people because you will be able to help the people that God needs you to help. I live my life a lot of times through you and the things that you do. And I don't think you recognize um, all the goodness, all the good that you bring. And we'll be here 100% all along the way. Love you, Chess. When we come back, linebacker Peyton Wilgar takes on a very early parenting role in the midst of a family crisis. Stay with us. Welcome back to BYU TV's Deep Blue Special. It is now my opportunity to introduce you to a young man who has one of the biggest hearts you'll ever encounter. Peyton Wilgar is headed for big things in his football career, but it will always be family first. How he and his wife stepped up to help amid significant trials. 
One time, he was in the car with his mom and his little sister. We were taking the back roads through a little town called Summit, and and my mom was like, it was weird because she was like completely normal, like she could she could talk. I was kind of a bad spot in my life, and I had just I don't even know what I took. I had taken a bunch of pills and. The next thing I knew, I had lost all control. So I knew that I needed to stop the van and and get out to protect. So she pulled over at like the first exit in Summit, and we and she's just like, "Let me walk around." And we got out. And we started walking around into like this little riverbed, and she just collapsed right there. And I mean, I was probably in like first grade we were little we didn't know what to do we kind of just my mom I, I don't know I can't even really explain what was going on but she collapsed right there in the riverbed Peyton and McKaylee walked to a neighbor's house to call their grandpa and so that they could get a ride but I remember just watching those two little kids run so fast to get help from mom. So he's definitely seen some things that no kid should have to see. Growing up, uh, both of our parents are recovering drug addicts. I taught Misty into coming to my side and and we were together uh, in a bad place for about 15 years so some people will look at it as a negative but i always looked at it as a positive like i am so grateful for the way i grew up as and as well as those stories even though they were rough points but like just being independent you know like being able to to know that i'm going to be okay through some hard times you know i wouldn't i wouldn't trade my parents for anything in the world because they taught us all the right things and they always loved us but i think peyton you know, see the things, the choices that someone can make in their life can determine, you know, their destiny. And uh, Peyton, I feel like, has just taken every trial and the adversity that's been placed before him and used it to his benefit to stay focused and to stay dedicated to, to his dream. I heard like maybe roll call in a class or something. They said Peyton Wilgar, and I remember like looking over. And I was like, oh. and instantly I was like, oh no, <laughs> I've been smitten for since. We've been together since eighth grade, and we've really she's been by my side through everything. You know, through my family issues, through college. She's she's never left me through all the hardships. You know, as young as they were, see some of the things they do. Um, it's pretty impressive for for their age, you know. I mean, they've they've taken in some of my grandkids. So a few months into our marriage, Peyton's brother's kids were taken by the state because he was in and out of jail. My oldest brother, you know, and and, and his wife were just going, you know, through some struggles, some tough times. And my little brother Peyton and his wife Chrissy, you know, stepped up to, to take the kids in for a little while. You know, and it's it's pretty crucial years for him, you know, but they took that, I don't know if you can say burden, but, you know, they really opened their door. We didn't want the kids with anyone 
other than family. At one point they were, I think, in a random person's home and I would FaceTime them and it was just so heartbreaking seeing those kids, you know, just confused. They had no idea what was going on and I have this one song that I still think about. It's called Don't Give Up On Me. And I listen to that song every single day, thinking about those kids. I wasn't going to give up on them. I remember that first night, we just, we, we finally got them to bed after them just crying for hours. And we put them in our room, and because we were so petrified to wake them up again, we both slept in the front room together. And we just sat there and we cried, like, what did we get ourselves into? Like, we thought it was going to be, like, so fun being aunt and uncle, having our little nieces and nephews around. But, like, when you switch into that parent role, I don't think anyone really understands how hard it is to, to bathe them and feed them and clothe them and give them 100% of your attention all day. And so it was, it was definitely an experience that I'm so grateful for, but it was extremely hard. So many players could have used um, everything going on in their lives, like Peyton has, as reasons to miss a practice occasionally, to leave early from a weight training session or, or show up late to a meeting. And you just don't have that with Peyton. Just shows a lot about who he is, you know, and, and his wife, Chrissy, as well. They're just great people. Our nieces and nephews have had similar struggles and trials as we did as kids. And, you know, I think Peyton just wants to to make sure that they know that they're loved and put them in a situation to best succeed. Yeah, even though they do all struggle with addiction, there's nothing but love in this family, and at the end of the day, that's all that matters. I don't think he realizes the powerful son, brother, friend that he is. You know, he's always been a little bit hard on himself, and... He's definitely a light. And he, I, just, I just want him to love, love this year, you know. Play every game like it's your last game. This only happens once in a lifetime. And before you know it, you turn around and you're old. So, you know what, take advantage of what you have now. And love every minute of it. And go out there and have fun. I just think that the future is very bright for Peyton. Peyton is another walk-on story resulting in massive success, and you love to see that happen for someone who sacrifices so much to benefit others. Football can certainly provide the road to a better life, but in wide receiver Chris Jackson's experience, that road had some unbelievable bumps, barriers, and detours on his way to BYU, including a situation where he and his family were homeless. His inspiring story airs right now. I grew up in Pomona, California. It's probably like 30 minutes from L.A. It was gangs. You're going to have to defend yourself at one point. Like, that's just the culture, really. That's really just the culture. That's something you have to watch out for. But I was never, like, into it, though. It's easy to sell drugs here. It's easy to go, you know, join a gang or such things like that. So the fact that he was able to really just, once again, keep that tunnel vision and to just kind of, you know, brush off all those things that he was going through and, and come perform every day at practice, every day on the field, it really amazes me. If you know Chris Jackson, he don't talk much. But yes, we was. We was homeless for seven years. 
my brothers and sisters was homeless. My mom, she's on the streets doing drugs. So as a 17-year-old kid, I'm like, there's only so much I can do. Like, I'm, like, under y'all wing. There's only so much I can do. And being, if you really love your mother, just being a 17-year-old boy, like, that can bother you. Like, going to bed, knowing your mother is sleeping on the streets, there's nothing you can do about it. Knowing your brothers and sisters is sleeping on the streets, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, my little sister, she was only, like, eight years old at the time. But we worked it out as a family. See, as, as dad, I have a past, but I'll never teach my kids, don't repeat what I did. You have a chance. Do that. I feel like that right there just motivated him and, like, I'm, this is not the life I want to have for the rest of my life, so I'm going to continue football and get to where I need to get to so no nobody in my family has to ever struggle again. If you was to ask him, he's saying that he's working for his family. That would be, like, his first answer. He always tell me anything go wrong, just pray. And he just believe in God and that he trusts in God with everything he does. And that's how we get through our stuff, believing in God. And that's how he get through his stuff, believing in God, too. Out of high school, Chris was a very, very highly recruited player. And just due to his circumstances, wasn't able to, to take on any scholarships. He had to go to the junior college route. We were at different schools, but a lot of time I, I would go visit him on his campus and things. And I knew he was homeless, and I knew he was sleeping in front of places and stuff. And once again, he never really showed it or always addressed it to me, but I knew. So that's why when he, you know, he asked for, for some food or for some shelter, you know, I would, I would try my best to provide that for him. Like a lot of guys that, went, that came straight from high school to D1, they don't understand like the JUCO struggle, but it's really real. Like you're, you're in a two-bedroom with like 14 people sleeping on the floor. Like that's, kind, that's how it is. You're, you might be in a three-bedroom with like 20 people. That's literally how it is. There was times I probably went without eating multiple times and still had to practice multiple times. And it gets to the point where you go without eating so much, you get used to it. So it's like, you just you're going off water and crackers. Going through that made me disciplined because when you're in JUCO, you're still fighting for a scholarship. So you don't get comfortable, you're still, so now I still have that same mentality that I'd never leave. To go through his, his junior college career the way he did and to still be able to make it out and, and be, be eligible and willing to um, you know, attend university says a lot about him. It was cool to have that script flipped on me where I was thinking, huh, is this a kid we can, we're going to be able to take who can make it to BYU too? We need this kid at BYU. When Fessy actually called me and offered me, I was actually homeless at that time. I was um, sleeping in my car. He called me at nighttime and he offered but when he like when he offered, it was just I cried for a long time. Yeah, that was that was a blessing. The fact that so much of the adversity he's just been through, you know, with his family, with uh, you know, being like homeless, and I, I've seen Chris struggle, and that's what makes me when I go to these games. There's no joy in the world. I, of seeing him on that, seeing him on that field because of so much he's just overcome. The 46, so they need to get a full five yards. Pressure comes, a throw with the hit, and a nice delivery. That's a good time. Chris Jackson with a catch for the BYU first down. For me, it's a dream come true to have guys like that here at BYU. He's, he's made our lives better. He's made our program better. And it's not just about um, making plays on the field. It's seeing someone that struggles uh, become a great example to his teammates and 
Um, but the struggles just all haven't just stopped since he got here. But to see him overcome it again and again and again and again, you just want him to just win all the time. So I'm hoping he gets that, that opportunity. He deserves it. Up next, we finish with a brotherly connection and a reuniting at BYU after some stops at rival schools. More Deep Blue is on the way. Deep Blue wraps up, but not before a brotherly reunification. Sampson and Puka Nakua's original college football plans did not include BYU. Sampson chose Utah. Puka chose Washington. But a series of events brought them both to Provo for a unique chance to play together. They honor their father and mother in doing so. Two brothers, one family, one team. This is Deep Blue with the Nakua brothers. So Puka's real name is actually Makea. Puka is a nickname. When he was little, um, probably when he hit about walking age, he just like was this little fat Buddha. Had no neck, had this bald head. Puka's one of the most athletic kids I've ever seen in football. So he's got tons of athleticism. Then you look at his body, and he's a big body. He takes everything uh, serious and does it um, 100%. Puka's like, all right, we're going to work out right now. I'm like, are you sure, bro? We just worked out like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> and he's like, we're going again. And I was like, all right, sounds good, bro. I'm going to win this game because right here, he's about to gutter both of these right here. He's about to throw him right down the gutter and blow it. He's got two strikes in a row, but he's not like that. <laughs> This is exactly how Samson is. He's always gonna fight for his family. He wasn't even close. And that's why I actually named Samson. Because when he was in my tummy, I just remember feeling like he he just was this strong kid. That's always been his personality. He's just one of those guys that he steps on the field or walks into a meeting room or whatever. He brings a lot of energy to everything he does. He talks to everybody. As much as he seems like he doesn't talk, he talks to a lot of people. It's like he's like the perfect median, I guess. Consistency, baby. I'm out here every time, hitting pains, knocking him down. This kid's just all over the place. It's ugly. It's not beautiful. I play a beautiful game. It's art, what I do. I think he can get annoying sometimes because I spend so much time with him, obviously. Go by the highs too high, go by the lows too low. But when you know one brother, I think you know the rest in the Nakul family. And these are guys who are full of life, who are competitive, who are passionate about everything that's in front of them. And I'm just thrilled at the chance I have to get to work with two of the five boys in that family. And I know they're going to make BYU better. And our job is to make them better uh, because they're here. We weren't the wealthiest. We had a lot of kids. And, you know, club sports are really expensive usually because they're traveling 24-7. But we've made it work. My dad made it work. He had us hustle with him, so he would have us set up the concession stands um, with selling the candy and the drinks during the tournaments. And then at the end of the day, our dad would have us go scrape the gums and then mop the floors down of the, all the basketball courts in the gym. He helped us to learn, like, ways to, like, you know, give back. There's a lot of good times of working with my dad and stuff. <laughs> he always loved being at the games. He loved being able to just teach his kids, you know, the sport instilling in them that fire and passion to play to win and to give it your best. May 14, 2012. That's where Pops is at. Yeah. It's game day a little bit. But, you know, I just came to visit family. Get the mind right. 
take a little off football. Actually, when this started, it, there was, it was a baby tree. It wasn't even there, no shade here, honestly. And now it's all grown up. <laughs> Lionel had diabetes. He was a type 2 diabetic. As time had progressed, his diabetes just worsened. I remember him calling uh, for my older brothers to ask him to sit up um, out of bed. They couldn't really even get him up either. My dad just said he couldn't get up. and uh... He was having diabetic symptoms that I wasn't aware of. And so in that time frame that they were rushed to the hospital, his heart was racing so fast. The medications they were trying to give him to slow down his heart rate wasn't working. So they felt like inducing a coma to help. And unfortunately, um, he didn't make it. And then stuff happened so quick, and we ended up in Utah. And uh, my mom brought us all here, and uh, probably the best move for us to get out of Vegas, you know, start over. We still did things together as a family, but there was obviously that missing part that wasn't there with us. But there was a plan that he had put together of us just being able to use sports as a platform for us to achieve the, the wants and goals in our life. And that would be a way for us to help, help our family and live his legacy, I guess, in a way. It's just been a long time. I wish I could come here more, but it's always been a struggle for me to come here. I guess that's always been the plan. Stick together with our families. It was only fitting that game once here in Las Vegas. Back where he is and where it all kind of started. Being a loving, eternal husband and a best friend, he was just good to everyone, wanting to help everyone out, trying to figure figure out every every way possible to help them out and help our family out. Helps me when I'm when I know I'm not where I need to be or when I'm not hitting the goals that I want to hit is remember why I'm doing it and the reason I'm doing it is the example that was set before me is to work hard and to take care of those around me and that's what I'm trying to do. We can all take take it for granted sometimes and then the cool boys definitely don't. Seeing the way that they represent themselves uh, on the field and off the field has been really impressive for me and it's an honor for me to be their coach. They are very lucky to have their mom that they have. To lose their dad um, in the phase of life that they did for their mom to raise five boys those with those types of strong personalities um, they've kept her young she's an angel she's a, a warrior and um, they're super lucky to have Benina as their mom quarantine was it was really a super nice Samson came home everybody was home it was a hard time but also a good time a lot of people were, you know, lost some loved ones. Um, some people got sick. But um, for me and my family, I think it, it was the best thing for us. We got to grow a lot closer. We actually got to spend time away from football. It was nice to be home with everybody. It just felt like we hadn't been home as a family together in a long time. As much as I thought I wanted to get out to Seattle, and I love Seattle, and I learned a lot and grown a lot, and I got to see stuff that I feel like I wanted to see and I wouldn't see out here in Utah, 
But then I was like, I miss you. <laughs> I miss being around my family. It's what I, it's, I guess, all my family's out here, my mom's cousins and stuff like that. So Puka, you know, brought it to my attention. The timing of everything is just perfect, honestly. It doesn't seem like God will put anything in our way for, like, right now. Like, he said, this is just God's timing. It's all perfect. Everything's aligned. Yeah, I don't know. It was hard. I guess everything, there was nothing bad in, at this, from my situation at the University of Washington. But family... My family's made it easier, I guess, for sure. Being able to come home to familiar faces and, and keep me on track. It was so hard to leave me, pal. I mean, they five years up there, they were always good to me. Um, they let me be who I was for my five years, and uh, I was breaking down crying, and I was like, dude, I don't know what to do. I, I know it's the right thing to do to leave, go home, but it just wasn't easy leaving the, my boys like that. And so it's followed Puka's past, just kept praying about it, find peace for an answer and stuff, and find peace within myself uh, to see if this was uh, the right move. And uh, came to the decision, and uh, we ended up here, and uh, it feels great. It feels, uh, it feels like home, honestly. <laughs> what would you think of these two coming together oh. and playing here now? <laughs> he would be so proud of them. And I'm, I'm positive that he played a, a little part in maybe them coming here. That'll do it for us on this Deep Blue special. For more of these uplifting and outside-the-line stories, download the free BYU TV app. For now, I'm Spencer Linton. We'll see you next time.